the show the establishment warns you about. Welcome back to the Dr. Tommy Show. This is your host, Dr. Tommy Magnoli, broadcasting from Florida, the Freedom State, in the heart of Florida, from Echelon Health Studios, where we run a concierge medicine practice. That has been around now for 10 years. This January makes 10 years that we've been doing concierge medicine in Florida, in Tampa. Well, first start off in Wesley Chapel, now in Tampa. Freedom-based medical care, just like a freedom-based podcast. And uh, so I was looking today, they said that uh, Stephen Crowder is fighting with Daily Wire about uh, contract to do the his program, the Crowder, or what was it called? Louder with Crowder for fifty million dollars. So while we're on that subject, if you don't mind subscribing, if you're listening now, and then sharing with a friend, because if that's the kind of money that you can get doing podcasts or shows, I'm interested. I know Rush used to make a lot of money, but Lord, I didn't know Stephen Crowder was worth fifty million. That's a lot of money. Daily Wire has a lot of money. They do a lot of stuff, but my God. There's a lot of money in, in, uh, in content. So, but we appreciate you watching and listening. And, and when we started doing this podcast, I guess, in 2016 and uh, did it for like three years and then had a baby. I didn't have a baby, but my wife had a baby, Tracy, and then got too busy with the baby. Plus, at the same time, around that time is when you started noticing what you're seeing now come out with Twitter and Facebook and all this about the government working with these companies to censor people. And you saw your content not being seen as much. So what would happen is previously when we'd put a something up on Facebook, for instance, about the show, we'd put the link and then it would get a lot of, you know, likes or whatever shares and you get more views, blah, blah, blah. And it was done on YouTube at the time. But as 2019 rolled around, that's when you start in 2018 too. You started to see it decline, and you would get less and less um, promotion, I guess you call it, or you know shares and things like that. And you know there's something weird going on, and I knew then too. And so I said, you know what? With the baby coming, we don't have time to be doing this with the baby running around because we brought the baby to work, and um, that's what you can do when you have your own business. So we brought our baby to work, and um, I just said, you know what? Screw this. If they're going to censor you based on your you know beliefs then the hell with them i'm not even going to do the podcast anymore but then we start doing it again because it, olivia got older and then start doing it again on youtube and then sure enough youtube started doing their shenanigans with the banning and then it happened in um the uh 2000 mules i did a review and um they banned it They banned the review of 2,000 Mules because I was spreading misinformation or something of that nature. So I said, screw them, and then I'm going to now upload to Rumble. So now I've been uploading to Rumble. We stream on Rumble. We upload to Rumble. And then what happens is once you get to a certain amount, I move the older shows back to YouTube as an archive only. So we don't stream anything on YouTube, but older shows, as as we run out of room to store on Rumble, get moved over to YouTube. So if you're watching now, you're watching on Rumble, we we really appreciate it. If you want to watch old shows, there's some old shows on Rumble, but then if you want to watch much older shows, let's say going back six months, then you have to go to YouTube. And then you can always listen to it on any of the podcasting platforms, which 
don't get, do not get as much views as the video for some reason. I don't know. People just love my handsome face, I guess. But um, the podcast, I actually prefer listening to a podcast than watching it because, I don't know, I just do it. There's some podcasts you can't do that with. Um, I was watching one the other day, Michael Francis and uh, Jordan Peterson. It was actually on Jordan Peterson's podcast. And I don't know if he has an audio or not. I assume he does. But <clears throat> this was a couple months ago, and I think Jordan Peterson now is on Daily Wire exclusively. And so I think this was Jordan Peterson's Daily Wire show, so I'm not sure if there's an audio version of that too. But anyway, way, I was watching that, and so I had to watch that. But I didn't mind watching it. But overall, if you want to listen to this show, you can listen to it. If you want to watch it, you can watch it. And like I said, we appreciate it. Share it. Subscribe. The more we viewers we get, closer I get to making a $50 million uh, deal with Daily Wire. Just kidding. Actually, if I do ever make a big deal with it, Daily Wire or whoever else, I'm not going to stop doing what I do here, uh, concierge medicine. So don't have to worry if you're a patient that sharing this show will adversely affect you. It will not. I promise I will not stop. Pinky promise. I will not stop doing concierge medicine Unless they pay me $50 million, then I probably will. But other than that, I probably won't stop. Okay? Thank you for listening. All right, thank you for, for uh, listening to that little inside baseball. Uh, what do we got today? There's a few different things. You know, in, in California, God, God love them. If it's not a drought, then they're having floods. And if it's not fires, then they're having God knows what. It's like... Uh, I don't know what, what what's wrong with California as far as their climate. And uh, so this is an interesting story I came across here. This is from um, Hot Air. And it says, shock, L.A. Times prints story that admits California storms not caused by climate change. So there's a different one. So L.A. Times is printing a story saying that the, the fires, or I'm sorry, the floods, storms are not caused by climate change which goes against everything you've been heard in hearing in the media, potentially. I don't listen to the media, so I can't tell you for sure. But I'm, I'm fairly certain that the fire or the, the floods have been caused by uh, climate change, according to the media. This is not to downplay the floods. Obviously, there's people who are not doing well. So I'm not trying to make light of the floods. But I am trying to point out the fact that floods, fires, droughts, are oftentimes exploited by media people, by people on the left for pushing their political views vis-a-vis climate change and getting money for climate change and indulging their own anxieties and uh, religious, pseudo-religious beliefs about climate change. But this is an interesting article. It says... Gavin Newsom and every lefty environmentalist in the world have been screaming about how California's deadly rainfall over the past few weeks is proof that the earth is burning or something. Not so fast, says LA Times. California goes through drought and deluge weather cycles, and their existence predates any possible man-made climate change. So that's the thing about climate change, which I always think about whenever I hear someone talk about climate change and the earth has warmed two degrees in the last 200 years or 100 years, whatever it is. And that is proof that we're destroying the earth and we're going to destroy the earth unless we invoke all of these different regulations that these uh, smart people at the World Economic Forum and elsewhere in the United Nations have come up with. And I always think back, well, 
what about before there was man and all the climate changes that took, took place, you know, or, or before man had cars, you know, when they were just driving donkeys and things of that nature, what happened with the ice ages and all that? And that always just seems to be like, well, you know, anyway, it says, it turns out that uh, Gaia just loves to psych Californians out. And it says here from the article, as California emerges from a two week bout of deadly atmospheric rivers, uh, a number of climate researchers say the recent storms appear to be typical of the intense periodic rains the state has experienced throughout its history and not the result of global, global warming. Although scientists are still studying the size and severity of the storms that killed 19 people and burned and caused up to $1 billion in damage, initial estimates suggest the destruction had more to do with California's historic drought to deluge cycles, mountainous topography, and aging flood infrastructure that ended with climate-altering greenhouse gases. Although the media and some officials were quick to link the series of powerful storms to climate change, researchers interviewed by the Times said they had yet to see evidence of that connection. Instead, the unexpected onslaught of rain and snow after three years of punishing drought appears akin to other major storms that have struck California every decade or more since experts began keeping records in the 1800s. And so it goes on to say that... um, you know, we know from climate models that global warming will boost California storms of the future, but we haven't made that connection in the last several storm systems. So, so, so this person's a climate scientist at Scripps, so he has to go online, on, on board with the party line. We know from climate models that global warming will boost California storms. Okay, so he has to say that first. But then he says, but we haven't made the connection with the latest storm system. So how they did that, I don't know. I guess their, their model didn't show up. But anyway, it's it's interesting to under, to note that there's some people out there who are voicing some kind of skepticism about this and not just going out immediately repeating the party line. So the whole thing about climate change is such a, um, what is it? It's a seductive thing to say because climate change is something that's going to affect everybody. Climate change, let's say man-made climate change. And it's almost like, if you deny climate change, you are, in fact, a bad person. So if you deny that there's man-made climate change, it's like they did with COVID. If you deny that COVID is a, um, a catastrophic, deadly illness on par with, let's say, um, Ebola, If you deny that, then you're a bad person. If you don't react the way I react to it, if you don't have the same anxieties about COVID that I do, then you're a bad person. So it's the same way they do with climate change. As they say, look, climate change is happening. It's caused by man. It's caused by too much CO2. And if we don't react to it, then people are going to die. These floods are going to happen. Droughts are going to happen. Everything is going to happen because of climate change. And uh, you're just a bad person if you don't. And if you if you put that out there, it's like they did with COVID. So they say, look, if you don't react the same way I do to COVID, if you don't take the same extreme viewpoints on COVID that I do, then you're a bad person and you're not taking things seriously. And they use the same kind of guilt complex that they do. And I think it's susceptible. The same people are susceptible. Largely, I think a lot of the people who were affected by COVID, we'll call it hysteria. And I'll, and I'll define that as 
COVID hysteria would be uh, activities and reactions to the COVID virus, coronavirus, that were out of proportion to the, the threat that coronavirus posed. Let's put it that way. So I'm not saying that coronavirus wasn't something that killed a lot of people. Obviously, it did. And I'm not saying coronavirus was something that you should just say, well, you know, I I have no no need to do anything at all different um, because uh, no matter what happens, it doesn't matter. And I don't care about anybody else. So obviously, if you're sick and you had COVID, you should isolate yourself. You wash your hands, that type of thing. What I'm talking about is this overreaction that people had where you had to mask up children in school all day long when it was no evidence that the children were going to have a bad problem with COVID and also forcing people to get vaccines and forcing people to um, lose their jobs, uh, locking people down, forcing them to not be able to go to the store, uh, introducing this kind of authoritative state where you could report your neighbor if they had more than uh, the allotted amount of people over for Thanksgiving. All of that is the overreaction to COVID. And the same thing goes for climate change, too, is the overreaction to climate change. And so they say, well, now you can't have a gas stove. Um, what else is there? Um, I saw somewhere there was somebody that said in order to cut down on methane, they're uh, putting masks masks on cows to cut down on the methane um, production from their burps, I guess. Uh, so th- this is the COVID fanaticism that engulfs people. And it's a seductive thing because you can get the same people scared about it that you did about climate change that you do about COVID. And that's a lot of that is young people, young people who haven't had the experience in life, uh, the experience with the media, for instance, the experience with history, because their, their, their point of view is so short compared to others. So if you've lived 60 years and you're talking to someone who's 20 in college and they're talking, talking to you about climate change, you have had three times the amount of experience that they have. But that's why they target the people like the young people in college and everything like that. Because if you can get them early and you can seduce them with these thoughts that, A, if you don't listen to what I'm saying about climate change, for instance, that you're you're killing people, you're, you're responsible for deaths of others. So obviously no one wants to have that. And then they also say, well, then they attack your intelligence and say, well, all you have to do is look at this hockey graph, hockey stick map, and you can see that the COVID, uh, I'm sorry, the CO2 levels have gone up. And if the CO2 levels have gone up and the temperature's gone up, then it, you're dumb if you can't see that and uh, and admit. So most everybody across the aisle, Republican to Democrat, will admit that CO2 is causing the earth to warm up too much and it's going to have a negative impact impact. And uh, so there's this video out by Prager University. I just want to play part of it, talking about CO2 and what its impact is on climate change. So then what about carbon dioxide, the great villain of the global warming alarmists? Where does that fit into this picture? Not as neatly as you might think. Temperatures and carbon dioxide levels do not show a strong correlation. In fact, over very long time spans, periods of hundreds of millions of years, they are often completely out of sync with one another. Over and over again, within virtually any time frame, we find the climate changing for reasons we do not fully understand. 
But we do know there are many more factors in play than simply the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere. Factors such as the shape and size of the Earth's elliptical orbit around the Sun, activity from the Sun, and the amount of wobble or tilt in the Earth's axis, among many others. So that's Patrick Moore, who's a co-founder of Greenpeace. And he's come out recently, I guess recently, meaning this last several, maybe more decade or so, but he's come out against this uh, hysteria about climate change. And he's obviously been ostracized by the uh, Greenpeace people because of that. But when you get down to it, the climate change uh, problem is, is similar to the COVID problem in multiple ways. And one of them is through the use of kind of this manipulative fear mongering that they say combined with ostracism, ostracizing people who don't agree with them. So you, 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 you scare people into believing you people who don't believe you, you ostracize them in, in true, uh, Alinskyite fashion, you isolate them and you attack them. And then the third component, the third most uh, important part of the stool is the money, the money, the money that goes into it. This is uh, this is Lurch, John Kerry uh, at Davos. This is what John Kerry had to say about it. The State of the Union's coming up, and the president's got to, you know, and I think will will because he believes this. We got to move this because that's the only way we keep 1.5 degrees alive. So how do we get there? Well, the lesson I've learned in the last years, and I learned it as secretary, and I've learned it since, reinforced in spades, is money, 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 money. And I'm sorry to say that. I mean, yes, technology. Yes, exciting new initiatives. Yes, organizing. Winning races politically. I mean, what happened uh, in, in the midterms. So that's it. Money, 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 money. So he's talking about money to do things like whatever, whatever they have dreamed up. But he actually said the quiet part out loud because that's really what it is all about. It's not money, 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 money to do things that are going to do anything to change anything. It's money, 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 money to line the pockets of people like John Kerry and Al Gore and everybody else. And if you look at the COVID thing, it's money, 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 money to line the pockets of people who are benefiting from it. We're going to get later into this uh, thing about diversity, too, and about how that's such a big money, 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 money thing. So it's funny how you look at all these different things across the spectrum, and they're all interconnected through this, this idea that you can somehow extract money from people using their emotions. And whether it's about climate change or whether it's about COVID, it's always a nice way to do it is to use emotions, use people's emotions against them. And divide and conquer to put people against each other, and that's the way you can make yourself rich. This is back to this article from Hot Air. It says, What was actually revealed by the storms was not the dangers of climate change, but the failures of the California government to do anything about two other serious problems. One, prepare for the regular fluctuations in the weather patterns that Californians always experience in order to minimize damage. You can use that to the example of two of the. Uh, their forestry management when they have wildfires. 
you know, they always have these wildfires and you wonder what is, what kind of forestry management did they have? But instead, Gavin Newsom will just go out and say, well, this is, this is global warming here, calls on this. Number two, manage the capture of water so that when the inevitable droughts come, they will have kept some of the trillions of gallons that came down just, that just came down and just flowed into the ocean. Exactly right. It is criminal that California, which used to invest uncounted billions in ensuring sufficient water is available to its citizens and for agriculture, now spends an inordinate time fretting about climate change, about which it can do little. What California does one way or another about CO2 will, almost, will make almost no difference in atmospheric levels of CO2. But the billions of dollars it wastes on fruitless climate projects will do some real good to solve the water capture problem. So, yeah, so what about that? You know, that's why I think this, cal you know, they talk about electronic, electric vehicles, EVs, and how EVs are going to be replaced, basically, gas vehicles. And when you think about it, it's absolute nonsense that this should even be a, uh, a question. And the only reason that there is a question or the only reason there is a push for it is because they have convinced a large enough amount of people that CO2, like, like the Patrick Moore video was just saying, that was on PragerU, is causing climate change. And combustion engines make CO2 and that's bad. And so what you have to do is you have to eliminate these engines and then you're going to have uh, no more global warming. And then they forget the fact that electricity comes from power plants and power plants are not largely powered by things other than fossil fuels, whether it be natural gas or coal. There's some hydropower, there's some nuclear energy, but in large part, electricity that goes into your electric vehicle comes from fossil fuels. And so they, they talk about, they're going to ban electric or I'm sorry, gas vehicles, and they're going to have only electric vehicles. And so let's say by 2035, that's what they're going to do. And you know, it makes no sense. It's, it's, it's silly to think And it from the impracticality of the, of it to begin with, you know, like I said, you can pump gas into your car. There's never been a more miraculous uh, source of energy than at least until now than gasoline for its relative safety. It's uh, its ability to be uh, harvested at a relatively inexpensive price. It's ability to be uh, stored and then its ability to produce energy at levels that are completely uh, superior to those that are the way that you produce electricity from a, an electric vehicle. So the difference between putting gasoline into your car and using it for energy to go from point A to point B, compared the efficiency of that compared to the efficiency of getting energy to put into a battery to then power your car to go from point A to B, there's no comparison at all. It is a magnitude more efficient to use gasoline. But the reason we can't use gasoline is, like I said, back to the point, is that CO2 is bad. CO2 equals global warming. Global warming will kill us all. Therefore, we have to have electric vehicles. But what this is, is I think the people that, like John Kerry, like Al Gore, 
they know that what they're selling is a line of bull. They know what they're selling is not the whole story. They know what they're selling is largely an emotional argument to scare people, to make people feel guilty, to do things, to cause them to invest money in the types of things that John Kerry, Al Gore, all these big companies have invested in carbon offset credits, uh, you know, electric vehicle uh, parts, electric vehicles themselves. This is all a way to make money. This is all a way to force the market to do something that it would not otherwise done on a supply and demand um, basis. So people are not flocking to uh, electric vehicle companies because they want electric vehicles. People are being driven to electric vehicle companies. Some of them want vehicles that are electric, but a lot of it's got to do with this whole global warming thing. Would there be any push for electric vehicles if there wasn't also a global warming problem, quote unquote? Uh, so one drives the other. And I think that's what you're seeing now. And you see a lot of that with the ESG too. ESG is completely built on fear, fear of a lot of things. So fear of the environment being damaged, fear of there not being enough diversity, uh, fear of there not being enough equity, whatever that means. And it's all, and if you look at it, it all has this overarching, uh, overarching structure of leftist progressive thoughts that go into things that force you to do things that are making money for a lot of people. ESG makes a lot of money for people who are involved with ESG. As we're going to see later about diversity, that makes a lot of money for people involved with diversity. It's just interesting when you look at it, but it takes so much time to look at it and think about it and know about it. Because if you don't, if you just listen, and let's take your average teenager, your average college student, your average young skull full of mush, and you sit them into a uh, classroom and you start talking to them about climate change and you start saying, well, here's the hockey stick graph. CO2 is going up. Temperatures going up. Ipso facto, we're going to kill our earth unless we do all these things. And, uh, by the way, if you don't do these things then you're a bad person, now look around, raise your hand if you believe in climate change and all the hands go up because no one wants to be looked at as a bad person. And, that's how they get them. They get these young kids and then they get you know older people too, but everything else. But it's all about the money. It's all about the money. It used to be the, the left was about that. You know, fight the power. They knew young hippies, you know, they knew that the, uh, the culture, the corporate culture was set up just for profit and they were exploiting young people to get profit and they weren't about that. Now the hippies, the young hippies are older and they are in power and they are exploiting the same people who they uh, claimed that they were when they were younger for money and power. It's interesting how that happens. But yeah, you don't have, you know, the, the artist of today, for instance, you know, back in the day, you know, David Crosby just passed away today. He's 81 years old. Crosby stills a Nash. When David Crosby was young, you know, the counterculture was the left, the kind of progressive liberals, you call them. And those were the counterculture. And they were against the, they were against the corporations. They were against the government in large part because they saw through the hypocrisy of it. And they said, look, we're not going to be a party to this. We're smarter than this. You're not going to take advantage of us. 
you know, your, your country club Republicans, basically, and you're, you're just using the levers of power to enrich yourselves. And we're going to speak truth to power. And the same thing with the media, you know, taking down Nixon. We're going to speak truth to power. We're not about government corruption. We're going to expose government corruption. Fast forward to today. Uh, all the entertainers, all the artists, so to speak, quote unquote liberals, mostly pro-corporations, pro-big government, pro-big pharmacy. Uh, they're all about restricting freedoms if it's, it's and you know, for things like uh, COVID, you know, you must, you know, Gene Simmons, we covered him a few weeks ago talking about how you must be forced to get your COVID shot. You know, so all of these guys now, these uh, guys and gals on the left or, you know, these artists, these free thinkers now today in today's society, they are just touting the party line. They are the uh, spokespersons for the establishment, essentially. And then you, then you find that the, the the very few times that there is someone else in the entertainment world who speaks out and is not completely towing the party line, then they're, you know, they're weirdos. They are to be uh, ostracized. It reminds me of this thing uh, about Yellowstone. They were saying how um, Yellowstone was uh, red states, uh, they call it a red state dream or something like that. Anyway, they were, people were making implication that Yellowstone, the TV show, was conservative in nature. And, oh, Taylor Sheridan had to get out in front of that one because he can't be having that. <laughs> that will be the end of his career if he ever becomes associated with being a conservative out of the closet. I don't know what his political leanings are, and I don't care, actually. But if he ever got associated with being out of the closet conservative, then there's a good chance that would be the end of his career. But anyway... He went on to say, well, look, I don't think it's a red state thing. You know, you know, he just kind of poo-pooed the whole idea. So, but it, but now, you know, that the, uh, like I said, the counterculture is conservatism. If you are conservative and whether you're being your, your, uh, you're an entertainer or, um, you know, you're an artist or whatever, you are the counterculture. Now you are the rebel. You're the new punk as it were. This is an article about the Department of Education in Florida. This is from The Blaze. Florida Department of Education has rejected an AP African American Studies class asserting that the course runs afoul of state law and largely, quote, lacks educational value. It says, as presented, the content of this course is inexplicably contrary to Florida law and significantly lacks educational value. A letter from the Department of Education's Office of Articulation to the College Board Florida Partnership Senior Director Brian Barnes reads, In the future, should College Board be willing to come back to the table with lawful, historically accurate content, FDOE will always be willing to reopen the discussion. And this is, it says that the College Board uh, indicates the course is being piloted in 60 schools for 2022 and 2023, and this will increase to hundreds more schools in 2023, 2024, according to the national review, a Florida state university lab school is involved. The outlet reported that James G Martin center in North Carolina sought release of the curriculum and related material, but associate general counsel of Florida state university, Gavin Burgess rejected the request writing the vendor college board has asserted that the materials you're seeking are trade secret and confidential. So there's this AP studies course that is out there 
and we don't know what's in it because they want to release it, but apparently it, it's devoid of educational content. So this, let me translate this to you from CNN. Racist governor, Gavin, De, uh, governor Santos rejects studies course on African-American history. So we don't know what it happened. It says estimated the course is a vehicle for a political agenda that leaves large ambiguous gaps that can be filled with additional ideological material, which we will not allow Florida governor DeSantis said in a press release through his press secretary, as governor DeSantis has stated, our classrooms will be a place for education on indoctrination. So you're like, what? what's going on here? Well, you go to the daily caller. This is from the daily caller. Florida rejects AP African American studies course that contains section on quote queer theory. It says the state DOE office of articulation informed the college board that it will not approve the AP African American studies course to be taught in high schools because the course content violated state law prohibiting CRT. According to the rejection letter obtained by the DCNF, which is, uh, I'm not sure what that is. An analysis of the course syllabus showed that it contained CRT related content as well as sections on intersectionality and queer theory. It says CRT holds that America is systemically racist, systemically racist and seeks to hold groups of people accountable for their actions of their ancestors. Unit four includes a section titled quote, African-American studies, movements and methods under which there is a lesson on quote, black queer studies. The section teaches students about quote, the concept of the queer of color critique. Okay, let me read this again. This section teaches students about the, quote, the concept of the queer of color critique grounded in black feminism and intersectionality as black study lens that shifts sexuality studies toward racial analysis, according to the syllabus. The course also includes readings from Eduardo Bonilla Silva, author of, quote, Racism Without Racist, the book examines in detail, this is from the book, this is what the book says it does, examines in detail how whites talk, whites, it's capitalized, think and account for their existence of racial inequality and makes clear that colorblind racism is as insidious as ever. So this is a book that they were trying to push on AP students and it was rejected by Governor DeSantis. During his tenure, uh, Governor Santos has signed laws regulating content to be taught in public schools. Griffin, this is the uh, press secretary, uh, pointed to the governor's signing of HB 1213, which requires students to learn about the OC Massacre. OC Massacre is the largest incident of voting day violence in, in um, United States history. According to the Orange County Regional History Center, during which an unknown number of African-Americans -American were killed by riots on election day after Mose Norman, an African-American man, attempted to vote but was turned away from the polls. <clears throat> um, Governor DeSantis has continued to advocate for and endorsed and ensured Florida schools utilize accurate historical curriculum, including curriculum that portrays African-American history. He goes on to talk about other things that he's done. Students shall develop an understanding of the ramifications of prejudice, racism, and stereotyping on individual freedoms 
examining what it means to be a responsible and respectful person for the purpose of encouraging tolerance of diversity in a pluralistic society and for nurturing and protecting Democrat values and institutions. That's what the statute reads in Florida. Doesn't say anything there about being uh, queer or color or anything about intersectionality in the statute, though. So maybe we need to update the statute. So there you go. That's our governor, Ron DeSantis, and that's diversity, diversity 101. And uh, that's what the kind of thing is. Like I said, all these things are meant to kind of fill young schools full of mush with uh, more mush. And that's 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 done and uh, for a lot of different reasons, but a lot of it's for money. This is from a tax prof uh, blog, and this is uh, from the Instapundit website. It says, New York Times op-ed, what if diversity trainings are doing more harm than good? This is from the blog, Tax Prof blog. Diversity trainings have been around for decades, long before the country's latest round of racial reckoning. But after George Floyd's murder, as companies face pressure to demonstrate a commitment to racial justice, interest in the diversity, equity, and inclusion industry exploded. The American market reached an estimated $3.4 billion in 2020. DEI trainings are designed to help organizations become more welcoming to members of traditionally marginalized groups. Advocates make bold promises. Diversity workshops can foster better intergroup relations, improve the retention of minority employees, close recruitment gaps, and so on. The only problem, there is little evidence that many of these initiatives work. And the specific type of diversity training that is currently in vogue, mandatory trainings that blame dominant groups for DEI problems may well have a net negative effect on the outcomes managers claim to care about. And it goes on to talk about how this has been around since the 60s and basically ever since then, nothing has been shown uh, from their research that these diversity trainings do anything except enrich people. But look at that, $3.4 billion in 2020. Can you believe that? That is a lot of money. Have you ever been to a diversity training or read through a diversity training? It's really, uh, what's it, pandering, I guess is the word for it. It treats people as if they were, on one side it treats people like, I don't know if you, if you as if you don't have a brain, I guess. It, it makes you feel like, okay, this is the way you should feel about this person of this color and this is how you should react, as if you've never had any experience in your life with dealing with anyone who looks any differently than you. And at the same time, it also um, it also makes you feel sorry for other people, you know, based upon their diversity, I guess. And it also puts people up onto uh, it, it large, the biggest thing it does is is cut people up into groups. And, and make you know that this group of people feels this way, this group of people feels this way. It's very dehumanizing, uh, very patronizing to the people that they put in groups. And like this thing was saying too, on the other, other side of it, it's extremely racist. Like this AP studies course, this course that says, from this book that's part of this course, it says, Edward, Eduardo Bonilla Silva, author of Racism Without Racism, the book examines and details how whites talk, think, and account for existence of racial inequality and makes clear that colorblind, racist, colorblind, colorblind racism is insidious now as ever. I don't even know what that means, but I think what they're saying is 
colorblind racism is an attack on the idea that uh, I think what that is, and I can't tell you for sure because I haven't bothered to read about it too much, but I think what they say is when you say colorblind, that is in, in and of itself racism because you're not recognizing that they they make you go through all these mental gymnastics and you'll lose your mind if you think about it too hard. But they say colorblind, being a colorblind society is racist because you can't be in a colorblind society. You have to be attuned to color. That way you know how to treat people. So from these diversity people, they say colorblind, colorblind societies are racist societies. And so they don't like... For instance, you don't hear him talk much of these diversity, equity, inclusion seminars about Martin Luther King uh, or, you know, talking about the content of character, not the color of skin, because that's not what they want. They want the color of skin. They want the type of genitals. They want what you do with those genitals. They need to know, you know, like I was talking about the other day, we got the, uh, the new guidelines for the laboratory the lab uh, that we use and starting this year. Now you have to put down the age, which has always been the case and the sex, but you also put down your gender identity. You put down their uh, ethnicity, you put down their sexual orientation. This is all important, you know, as you know, and this is what these diversity people are all about. And so they don't like colorblind societies, colorblind society to them is a racist racist society because a colorblind society, you may not know that if this person has dark skin, then they're a victim. If this person has dark skin, you're supposed to know that they are put upon. If this person has dark skin, you need to know that they have been subjected to the worst types of discrimination that can be imagined. And you also have to know that if this person here has light skin, they have done it somehow. They have caused this. And if you don't believe that, then that makes you a racist. So this is the craziness that you get to with these uh, uh, these mental gymnastics you have to go through to understand how these people think. And this is the kind of thing that they're trying to push on students. Like I said, these young skulls full of mush who are, are growing up watching TikTok videos and uh, staying inside, not going outside usually, um, going to school. Parents are disengaged. Parents are, you know, watching their own TikTok videos or making their own TikTok videos. They don't know what their child's reading. They don't know what their child's learning. They surely don't know what their child's learning. And then they go to school and they go do the, you know, African-American studies course. And then they start getting taught about this. And this is, uh, this is why you have to be very, uh, if you care, if you care about it, you have to be, you have to be tuned in. If you don't care, you don't have to be. And that's what they count on is people not caring or people who care but are scared. So they, if, if ignorance doesn't work for them, then scaring you works for them. So you have to be threatened into feeling a certain way. Just like I said with COVID. Um, you had to look, if you don't believe the way I believe about COVID, if you don't have the same anxieties I believe about COVID, if you're if you don't believe that, you know, like I'm Gretchen Whitmer and that you shouldn't be allowed to go to have Thanksgiving, you shouldn't be allowed to go on a boat unless you're my husband and you can go on a boat. Um, then you are, you are a bad person. 
And that's what they use that they use that fear to manipulate people. So when they get to these kids, these kids are ripe for this. And they do the same thing with all this other stuff, sexual stuff, teaching kids about sex and changing their genders and don't tell your parents. And can you imagine? I mean, there's doctors out there. There's a doctor out there out there right now who is cutting the breast off of a child. This is a big thing. This is a big movement now is, and I think a lot of it is money again, again, money, 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 big money in gender clinics, you know, changing genders of children. That's another thing. It's always about the money. And like I said, these people on the left, these entertainers, these quote unquote liberals, they used to be all about, they used to always be about being able to see through it. You know, they said, this is, these corporations are all about the money, but now they're all about, they're all in on it together. They believe in it. Uh, American Greatness has a piece here about Yellowstone, the uh, uh, the uh, Western with John Dutton, uh, Kevin Costner Western. It says, recently I offered a defense of the TV, this is from um, McCubin Owens recently offered a defense of the television series Yellowstone against the charge that is just another soapy melodrama about the dysfunctional family. Nothing more than an updated version of Dallas or Falcon Crest. Instead, I suggested deeper meaning that it appeals to the audience because it portrays a microcosm of America's ongoing struggle. The defense of quote place against those who would threaten it, but closely associated with this meaning of the series. I believe there's another source of appeal. It's treatment of what Harvey Mansfield calls quote manliness. And he goes on to talk about manliness in Yellowstone and about how manliness is a positive thing. So that's right off the bat, not good. Uh, manliness, as you know, is toxic. Toxic masculinity, as we're told. And the ideal man in today's establishment society is a man like, well, a masculated man, a man who's not manly, a man who is a uh, weak, a man who wears pink hat and marches uh, in parades with his wife and holds her purse. That's a man. And of course, that's not what we see uh, there uh, historically as associated with manliness. And that's what the whole feminism movement was about was deconstructing men, deconstructing masculinity. And it keeps on, it keeps on going on. Um, <clears throat> it says, of course, from the academy to popular culture, the very concept of manliness or masculinity is under sustained attack. We rarely see or hear the word used without the adjective toxic. But as Mansfield argued in his book on the topic, there are two types of manliness. The negative version, dominant in the academy, holds that men use their inherent aggressiveness only to impose their will on the weak, particularly women. Mansfield argues on behalf of a positive understanding of manliness, according to which a man uses his mental and physical strength to defend himself and those he loves from any threats. In this version, the man, the fact that men are statistically stronger than women does not bestow on them privileges, but rather imposes responsibilities. In general, the archetype of the virile man in a positive sense is represented by soldiers who go to war and risk their lives to defend their wives, um, mothers, wives, daughters, and sisters. So this is the kind of manliness that you see in Yellowstone with John Dutton and rip and kind of see the other manliness 
in uh, Casey, who is the adopted son, because he's kind of the one that's a little bit more manipulative. He actually killed a woman. He beat her to death, I think. I can't remember exactly. It says, uh, I believe that the positive version of manliness that Yellowstone seems to praise accounts for at least in part its popularity. In my earlier essay, I suggested Yellowstone as a tribute to such old-fashioned values as honor, courage, and loyalty. For all his foibles, those, these are what inform John Dutton's life. There's something stoic about him. His commitment to principle trumps even his economic interest. It's clear that he can become rich by selling his land, but because of a promise he made to his father to keep the land whole, he refuses. He acknowledges at one point saying, quote, this is going to be the end of us, but we're going to do it anyway. Dutton is not the only example of positive manliness in Yellowstone. Certainly his foreman, Rip Wheeler, also qualifies, stoic, slow to anger, loyal, a fierce defender of those whom he loves and those who work for him. John Dutton took Rip in when he was a homeless orphan and turned him into a man, inculcating him with Dutton's own masculine virtues. So that's actually uh, interesting that they talk about this, because like I said, if Taylor Sheridan was to be outed as some type of conservative, that would be the end of his career. One of the things I remember about early on watching Yellowstone when I thought maybe Taylor Sheridan is a conservative, he may not even know it. You know, people don't want to say they're conservative because of the, uh, they don't want to be called conservative because conservative in, let's say you're in New York City. Let's say you live in New York City. Let's say you live in California and you're in polite society. You're part of the, uh, let's say you're a doctor there and you're a part of the the local medical society and, and you go to the parties and whatever, and, and you're at a dinner party and the subject of abortion comes up. Could you imagine how scared you would be if, if you were not pro-abortion to say that you weren't a pro-abortion in that circumstance? So that's, but that's the thing is conservatives, it's, it's scary to say the word conservatives in certain circumstances, depending on where you work. And certainly if you're in Hollywood, you can't say that you're a conservative or you, I mean, look at James Woods. But, uh, I think, you know, so I don't know if Taylor Sheridan meant to do it or not, but there's a, there's a storyline in Yellowstone where, um, Casey, not Casey. Who is it? John Dutton's son, Jamie, Okay. No, Jamie's the adopted son. Casey's the not adopted son. Okay. So Casey is his youngest son. Jamie is the adopted son. Jamie is the one that, who was, like I said, killed a woman. So strike that from the record. Jamie's the one that killed someone. Casey did not kill anybody, uh, did not kill a woman. He killed somebody else, but he didn't kill the woman. Anyway, so Casey, as his wife is an American Indian woman, Native American, whatever you want to call it. She had a baby. She got pregnant and she got pregnant and it pissed John Dutton off. And John Dutton said, you must make her get an abortion. You need to convince her to get an abortion. You can't have this child. I don't know why it's not really gone into why, but it's assumed that he didn't want her with an Indian woman. Potentially. Maybe he thought she was too young. He was too young. We're not sure what the reasons are for John Dutton, but the reasons were so uh, important to John Dutton that this woman have an abortion, Casey's wife, 
it wasn't his wife at the time, but Casey's girlfriend at the time, that when Casey refused, John Dutton branded him. He branded him the same way he brands other people who are tied to the ranch. So the ranch has people who are basically, for lack of a better word, owned by the ranch. So what they do is they'll go out and they'll find somebody and they'll say, hey, look, we're going to give you a way of life. We're going to give you a place to stay. We are going to be ever friend, ever debted to you. It's kind of like the mafia. It's kind of like becoming made in the mafia. Very similar to it. Anyway, actually, Michael Francis talked about this before and said it's much worse than being made in the mafia. The, the, these guys in Yellowstone are much, they do things much more uh, violently than being made. But anyway, so when you're made in Yellowstone, you're a made man in Yellowstone, they basically brand you. They brand you with the same brand they use on the cattle, which is a, a Yellowstone marker. Anyway, that happened to Casey. And Casey, that was the reason, was because of the abortion, the lack of the abortion. So then what happens is, obviously, she has the baby. And later on, uh, there's there's a, there's a there's a episode where they they explore this relationship between John Dutton and his son. I'm sorry, his grandson, which was the son between uh, Jamie, sorry, Casey, and his American Indian wife. And the child is obviously, you know, partial, you know, biracial, whatever you want to call it. And you can tell that the John Dutton character does not regret at all the fact that his son betrayed him and did not get the abortion done, did not have his girlfriend abort the child. And when I saw that, it made me think, wow, this is really skewering the abortion argument because the abortion argument is that abortions are always, let's say this, not the abortion argument, the, 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 um, the pro-abortion quote establishment argument, the argument from, um, NARAL or the argument from a Planned Parenthood is that abortions are always good. There is nothing negative about abortion. Abortions are always a joyous event. You know, Oprah Winfrey, shout your abortion. I'm not talking about people who get involved in a circumstance and they have an abortion and it's, it's you know, that's not the abortion I'm talking about. I'm talking about the abortion from the pro-abortion industry is that Abortion is always positive. Abortion's always good. We need more abortions in this world. That's the, and that's the party line of the establishment. That's the party line of certainly of Hollywood, certainly of the Democrat Party. So that that one, this episode here, just totally skewered that argument. And I thought to myself, wow, Taylor Sheridan, he must be a conservative, but we don't know if he is or not. This also article also talks about uh, feminism. <laughs> Talk about. Beth Dutton, and talk about toxic femininity. It says, Exhibit A is Beth Dutton. As one commentator has noted, Beth, quote, is not simply a woman in a man's world, although that is certainly the fact of her situation. She is also a woman who acts like a man in a man's world. Ironically, the behavior she exhibits is akin to Mansfield's bad form of masculinity. Although her fierce defense of those she loves, her father and her husband, Rip, is praiseworthy. As the saying goes, (laughs) in a world of Karens, be a Beth. She lacks any sense of moderation, which makes her an agent of chaos. She has internalized Lady Macbeth's plea. Come, you spirits that tend on moral thoughts, unsex me here and fill me from the crown to the toe top full of direst cruelty. 
And then it says, Beth is not alone in her toxic femininity. And they talk about the CEO of market equities and how she's a bad person. Then they talk about typical, you know, female characters who exhibit more typical femininity. And they're talking about Casey's wife. I have no problem at all with Beth. And I don't think her femininity is toxic. I think her femininity is, uh, I don't know what you call it. It's a form of femininity. She's a she's a true. I mean, she's she's more like what I would consider a feminist, not a feminist that hates men. That's the mo, That's the thing that defines what you. If you say what is a, a feminist, if you ask somebody just out on the street, what's a feminist? Uh, they say, well, feminist hates men. Basically, that's that's what I think. When I think of a feminist, I think of Gloria Allred. You know, I think of some. I think of a feminist as a woman who doesn't want a man. Or if she wants a man, she wants a man wearing a pink hat, marching with her in a abortion rally, holding her purse. That's what I think of a feminist. I think of AOC and her uh, uh, her boyfriend. He looks like a typical feminist idea of what a man should be. Kind of soft. Nothing about him strikes you as masculine. That's what I think of as feminist. But really, I think what Beth is is a true feminist. And that is a woman who basically says, look, you know, you're not going to be able to walk all over me. And that's, that's what she does in the show. Anyway, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. Go to drtommy.com slash podcast for more of the Dr. Tommy show. If you're interested in coming to see us, we're always taking new patients. We'll see how much longer we are taking new patients, but as of 10 years into it, we are still taking new patients, but uh, at some point we will become full. So come in while you can. And uh, we'll be glad to talk to you at drtommy.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe so we can get closer to the 50 million mark that uh, Louder with Crowder is reaching. All right. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.